I don't know about you, but I could sit and listen to that all day. That was great. Wow. Speaking of uh, listening, this morning as we worship, there's another group listening. There's a uh, group of scientists right now at this very moment in New Mexico who have their ears turned to the heavens, listening for signals of life from outer space. They're stationed at the world's largest radio telescope research facility. It's known as the VLA, or the Very Large Array. It's a facility comprised of 27 satellite dish antennas, each of which measures 82 feet wide and weighs over 230 tons. The total facility is the size of Washington, D.C., and it's even visible from outer space. Airline pilots flying over New Mexico refer to the site as the mushroom patch. Well, the VLA is part of a research project known as SETI, the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. And the scientists of SETI have devoted their entire lives to scanning the radio frequencies of space, listening for signs of intelligent life out there. This isn't Star Trek, friends. This is real life. The SETI website describes their mission as this. We believe we are conducting the most profound search in human history to know our beginnings and our place among the stars. Are we alone? If you're like us, you want to know. And so there they sit in the desert of New Mexico, listening waiting, hoping. Isn't it amazing, friends, the lengths that people will go to searching for a faint message from outer space, looking for answers, looking for meaning? And yet all along, God, our Creator, has spoken so clearly to us. He's given us all the answers the SETI project is looking for. As apologist Francis Schaeffer declared, he is there and he is not silent. Scripture affirms this truth as well. The Apostle Paul stated in Acts chapter 17, verses 24 through 28, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself, gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his, is, are his offspring. Isn't that amazing? God has spoken. He is not silent. And he has spoken because he wants for us to find him, to know him. He wants us to live in a relationship with him. And what's more, friends, not only has God spoken, but God, too, 
is listening. He's listening. He's listening for us. And when we call out to Him as our Heavenly Father, you can be sure He hears us. In fact, He wants to hear from us. He's told us so in His Word. Today we're going to be uh, continuing on in our journey through the book of Colossians. And this morning we're going to be focusing upon one of the most significant commands in all of Scripture. And when I say command, I, I don't want you to hear that term negatively. Like when your mom tells you to go clean your room, okay? Sorry, moms, all right? But I want you to hear this command as more of an invitation, an invitation into a remarkable opportunity. Let's read together from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. The Apostle Paul says, Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, And thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly, as I should. Now, friends, a lot could be said this morning about this short section from Paul's letter to the Colossian church. As we know from Pastor Rick's teaching thus far, Paul is writing this letter from a prison in Rome. And his purpose for writing the Colossians is to encourage them to stay rooted in the foundational truths of the Christian faith. Paul wants to see these brothers and sisters in Christ continue to grow in their relationship with the Lord, even in his absence, as he sits in a prison cell. And so here in these verses we just read, Paul encourages the Colossians. He invites them to participate in one of the most foundational and essential practices of the Christian life. Prayer. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. Now let me ask you a question, friends. What do you hear when we read Paul's words to the Colossians here? What comes to mind when you hear the biblical command, devote yourselves to prayer? What does that mean for you? What does that look like? I think most of us here today would like to think that we understand the calling that we've been given to be devoted to prayer. I think all of us would agree that there must be something to this prayer thing, right? I mean, when we read the Bible, it's it's all over the pages of Scripture. And then, you know, we look at the lives of faithful Christians we admire, and man, it sure seems as if prayer is an important piece of their lives. And yet, I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think a lot of us, even as Christians, struggle with prayer. We know it's something God's called us to do, yet we wonder about it. We have our questions. We may even have our doubts. The reality is, friends, prayer truly is an essential and fundamental part of the Christian life. It's foundational to our transformation and growth as followers of Jesus. Friends, if we want to grow in Christ, we have to grow in prayer. 
Yet I think there's a lot of misunderstanding today about what prayer is, even within the church. And these misunderstandings, these misconceptions, they keep us from truly experiencing the awesome power and joy that can be found in God's invitation to prayer. What do you think of when you hear the command, devote yourselves to prayer? I think one of the primary misconceptions about prayer today is that prayer is hard work, and it takes effort, and it's a struggle. And in all honesty, friends, I think a lot of people view prayer today like they view the dreaded treadmill at the health club. You know what I'm saying? Man, I I know this is supposed to be good for me. I know I need to get in shape, but wow, is this a pain or what? And I think a lot of people end up giving up on prayer. Because for those who have this treadmill view, prayer is primarily about putting in your time, running nowhere fast, and not always feeling like you have a lot to show for it. You know what I'm saying? And then there are others who would view prayer much like the giant vending machine in the sky. This person doesn't really think about prayer much at all. That is, until they need something. And I think a lot of people go through life just like this. Even many Christians. Prayer is in no way a regular part of their daily lives. But when they need something, hey, I'll just throw a shout out to the guy upstairs. And they deposit their token prayers. And they expect God to pour out the goodies. This isn't too different from the person who views prayer as a fire alarm. Instead of being something that we do every day, a regular part of our lives, prayer has become like that little glass-covered box on the wall that says break in case of emergency. It reminds me of a story I heard recently about a pilot who was out flying a single-engine airplane when he realized that his plane was losing fuel. The pilot called the control tower and he said, Pilot to tower, I'm 300 miles from the airport, 600 feet above ground, I'm descending rapidly, I'm out of fuel, please advise, over. The control tower called back, Tower to pilot, repeat after me, Our Father, who art in heaven. (laughs) It's funny, but it's how a lot of people view prayer. I think another common misconception about prayer is the idea that prayer is kind of like a harp. You know, the the instrument. It sounds beautiful and angelic and it sort of has this otherworldly feel to it. But, you know, it's really not my style. And I think a lot of people see prayer that way. They believe that when it comes to prayer, you have to use some special spiritual language. This King James type language with these and thous. And that's the only way to approach God. And they end up tuning out prayer because that's just not the world they live in. And then there are others who have embraced the idea that prayer is like a court date with an angry judge. And they approach prayer with fear and trembling 
because the judge, the judge is out to get him. He knows all about everything I've done. He knows all about my failures. And, oh man, now I'm going to get it. And for these people, there's no joy to be found in prayer. Because prayer is about guilt and shame and approaching an angry God who we just can't please. So many misconceptions about prayer today. And it's so sad because far too many people, even many Christians within the church, have embraced these false notions of prayer. And it keeps them from experiencing one of the greatest blessings we have in the Christian life. So the question before us then is this. If God has called us to be devoted to prayer, and if prayer is an essential and fundamental part of our Christian lives, what is it? How are we to rightly understand prayer? And how can we sift out all these false visions of prayer so that we might get to the heart of what God is truly inviting us into when he calls us to pray? Because here's the truth, friends. What you think about prayer today, what you think about prayer today will in large part determine whether or not you really pray and whether you'll experience the full blessings of prayer in your life. Now, to understand the truth about what prayer is really all about, I believe we need to go back to the source. We need a vision of prayer that is rooted firmly in God's revealed truth about who He is, His nature and character, and how He wants for us to approach Him and how we can relate to Him. And where can we find this type of truth about the nature of God and what He wants for us to know about prayer? Well, friends, look at what Scripture says. Let's read Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. Now what this passage is telling us, friends, is that God has spoken a lot of truth to men and women throughout history. And it's all valid. But if you want to understand God's character and His will most fully and completely, you need to look at His Son, Jesus. And what has Jesus told us when it comes to prayer? Well, friends, Jesus actually said a lot about prayer. But today, I want us to turn in our Bibles and look at what I believe is Jesus' most profound teaching on prayer. His most profound teaching on prayer. It's found in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Luke 11, verses 1 through 4. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. 
Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, this passage probably sounds familiar to most of us here. You most likely recognize these words as the Lord's Prayer, right? And this is one of two places in the Gospels, along with Matthew chapter 6, verses 8 through 10, where we find this teaching of Jesus on prayer, this teaching that has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Now, the first thing I want to highlight for you in this passage is what we read at the outset in verse 1. Luke tells us that one of Jesus' disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, catch this, friends. This is one of Jesus' disciples asking this. Lord, teach us to pray. One of the disciples. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me that even the guys who lived and traveled with Jesus, the guys who witnessed his ministry firsthand, the guys who sat around the fire with him each night, you mean to tell me that even these guys had questions about prayer? Friends, I don't know about you, but I'm sure glad this statement's in the Bible. Because if prayer wasn't automatic even for the guys who were closest to Jesus, that sure gives me a lot of hope as I continue to seek to better understand prayer and grow in this area of my life. I mean, if even the disciples needed to learn and grow when it came to prayer, man, that sure takes a lot of pressure off, doesn't it? Right? Friends, if your prayer life is not where you want it to be today, don't beat yourself up over it. Just as Jesus was patient with his disciples, so too he's also patient with us. And Jesus will help you grow in this area. If you ask, Lord, teach me how to pray. Now the second thing I want you to see from this passage And honestly, friends, this next point, this alone is worth the price of admission this morning. If you catch anything today, catch this. Look what Jesus says in verse 2. This this really is amazing. Jesus begins to teach his disciples how to pray. And he says, when you pray, say, Father. Say, Father. Jesus tells his disciples to address God to approach God as Father. Now, I really want you to grasp the significance of this. Jesus spoke an ancient language called Aramaic. And in the Aramaic language that Jesus originally spoke this teaching in, the word for Father that Jesus uses here is Abba. And what's so amazing about this word is that the word Abba was a common, everyday term used by children. Children in the first century. And the word Abba literally means Papa or Daddy. So Jesus here is literally instructing His disciples to speak to God, the all-powerful Creator of the universe, as their Daddy. Jesus says, when you pray... 
say daddy. This is amazing. Now, if you think that's cool, and friends, I hope you think that's cool, but if you think that's cool, you need to fully grasp the significance of this teaching for the disciples. This was literally a revolutionary concept for these guys. You see, in the Jewish religion of first century Israel, God wasn't ever thought of in these intimate, personal terms like Papa or Daddy. For a Jew living in the days of Jesus, God was to be approached with fear and reverence. God was holy and awesome and mysterious and unapproachable. And the last thing Jesus' disciples would have ever thought about God was that He was Daddy, Papa. In fact, do you know what the most common view of God was during this era of the Jewish religion? In the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, there was a special chamber known as the Holy of Holies. And only the priests were allowed to enter it. This was where the priests would go and offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people of Israel. And the Holy of Holies was separated from the public areas of the temple by a giant curtain or veil. It was actually layers of curtains, roughly three feet thick, so that nobody could enter it. Nobody could see what was on the other side except for the priests. And for the average Jew during Jesus' day, this was their picture of God. Distant, mysterious, hidden behind a veil, and only approachable if you were of the special priestly class of Israel. And now here's Jesus telling His disciples that God wasn't some mysterious deity that could only be known by the chosen few. But God can be approached by all His children. And we can call Him Daddy, Papa. Friends, this was revolutionary in Jesus' day. And I hope it's as equally revolutionary for you too. Jesus, who was God in human flesh, the ultimate revelation of God to men and women, invites us to call Him Daddy, our Father, our Daddy, who art in heaven, hallowed, praised be your name because you've adopted us as your children and you've invited us to call you Papa, Daddy. Thank you, Jesus. Isn't that awesome, friends? Friends, what is prayer? What should we envision when we read Colossians 4, verse 2? Devote yourselves to prayer. The truth about prayer and what God wants for you to know and experience and enjoy is simply this. Prayer is spending personal, intimate time with a personal, intimate God in building a personal and intimate relationship. Let me say that again. Prayer is spending personal, intimate time with a personal, intimate God in building a personal and intimate relationship. That's it. That's what God wants from us. And this is what He invites us into when He calls us to prayer. 
There's no official rules, no time requirements, no proper words. God just wants for you to know his love and for you to enjoy his presence in your life each and every day. It's just like when my two kids, Caleb and Addie, come and snuggle up next to me on the couch because they just want to spend time with me. They just want to be in my presence because I'm their daddy. And we sit together and we talk and we laugh and we enjoy each other. We learn. And yes, sometimes there's discipline and apologies. But always, friends, always there is love because I'm their daddy and they're my children. In the same way, God invites you his child, into his ever-loving presence. In 1 John 3, verse 1, the Bible tells us how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. And the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans 8, verses 15 through 16, that through Jesus we've received the spirit of sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Friends, when Paul encourages us in Colossians 4.2 to devote ourselves to prayer, he's not talking about an obligation or a panic button in case of emergency or some mystical religious experience. He's simply reminding us that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us and loves to hear from us. And just like in any other personal relationship, if that relationship is going to grow and flourish, there has to be communication. But friends, that communication is not an obligation. Not at all. Because when you love someone, and when you know how much they love you, you want to spend time with them. You want to talk with them. You want to grow closer together. And what a joy and blessing that type of relationship is. And that's what God wants for you. That's what he invites us into when he calls us to pray. Well, there's a lot more that could be said about prayer today. Let me just close with one last story that really sums up everything that I've been sharing here this morning. A few years ago, back when I was a youth pastor, I heard a powerful story from another youth pastor friend of mine. He was at a fall retreat, fall youth retreat, and one night during this retreat, the camp they were at had built this huge bonfire. It was sort of this time of spiritual reflection for the students who were there that weekend. The camp had built this huge fire that was blazing in the darkness underneath this miraculous canopy of stars. It was one of those settings where it would have been pretty hard to miss God's presence. While my buddy and all the students were all huddled around the campfire, he happened to overhear a really neat conversation between one of his students and one of the women leaders in his group. This young girl in his youth group, she was a senior in high school, and she had gone through a lot of personal trials in the past couple of years. And she was just pouring out her heart, pouring out her hurt to this adult leader. After a while, she said to her, you know, it's been a really long time since I felt close to God. 
Well, this woman she was talking with, she asked this girl, Honey, when was the last time you talked to him? Well, just then, a blazing ember popped out of the fire and landed right at the feet of these two ladies. And they just stood there for a minute, watching as this burning ember faded to a dim glow and eventually turned dark. The older woman then gently nudged the ember back into the flames with her shoe, where it once again caught fire. And as she did this, she said to this young girl, the ember can only blaze when it's close to the fire. I'll tell you something, friends. Some of the most powerful sermons are also the simplest. My youth pastor friend, he says that right then it was as if God himself had wrapped his arms around this girl. She got it. And with tears running down her cheeks, she embraced her youth leader and cried out to God, her daddy in heaven, for the first time in over a year. And she was glowing. The ember can only blaze when it's close to the fire. Isn't that great? Friends, my prayer for you today is that you too would draw near to God and experience the blessings of prayer like never before. Not as some tired ritual, but as a joyous, hope-filled, life-giving conversation with your Heavenly Father, your Daddy. And I pray that you too would glow and even blaze as you devote yourselves to spending time in His presence. Let's pray. Daddy in heaven, thank you for the honor, the privilege of approaching you as our Heavenly Father. What an amazing thing to think of that the creator of the universe tells us that we can call you Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Father, we love you. You're too good to us. And we thank you for who you are, for your grace, your love your mercy. Lord, if there's anybody here today who needs to have that flame of their relationship with you rekindled in their lives, Lord, I just pray that they would seek you today in prayer and just approach you as their Heavenly Father, their Daddy. Because you say, Lord, that when we call to you, that you hear us and you love to hear from us. God, you're so good. If there's anybody here today who has never turn their hearts to you as their Father in heaven. I pray that maybe even right now they would call out to you and say, Daddy, I need you. I need your love. I need your forgiveness, your grace. Thank you, Daddy. We love you. In Jesus' name.